Yo! Welcome to another episode of the Where Went Podcast. My name is Javier, and unfortunately for all of you, I'm doing this episode solo today. Yeah, my better thirds, Greg and Jason. You know, it's our commitment to bring everyone the utmost quality experience here. And so to do that, we really, you know, we try to we try to engage with the members of the bands and sometimes the timing doesn't work out so we have to do some extra stuff and this episode um I'm finally doing something that I've been wanting to do for a while and that's starting to explore and have conversations with people who have worked at Revolution Records over the years so today we have a uh, conversation with a dear friend of mine Andrew Rizek who worked at Revelation uh, right before Y2K, and, and we talk about that a little bit. And also, this conversation, or this version of the episode is only going to be like about a half hour long, but our conversation was like two hours long. And I'm going to post that full conversation on our Patreon. So the only way that you're going to be able to hear that full, (laughs) riveting two-hour conversation that actually had some really good content about Orange County Hardcore, Spirit-Filled Hardcore, Punk, all kinds of like crazy... Man, Andrew's story is so wild and interesting. But if you want to hear that, I'm only going to say this once. You have to go to www.whereitwentpodcast.com, find the link that takes you to our Patreon, sign up for Patreon, and listen to this and a bunch of other cool bonus content, even if you sign up for one month, just to like listen to all of the extra stuff that we have on there, because I'm, I'm being honest, there is quite a bit of extra content, and, and we have more coming. So, without... Any further blabbering by me, let's get into this conversation with Andrew Rizek, former Revelation Records employee. And like I said, if you want to hear the rest of the conversation, head over to Patreon. And I don't know. Let's dig in. Bit of bump. Yeah, so tell me about how you started working at Rev in the first place. Yeah, so before I worked at Rev, I worked at Zed Records, you know, the record shop in Long Beach. And I think I had knew a lot of the people that worked at Rev and had connections there already. So it would be the thing where, you know, say Rob Moran, him and Audie would come up to Zed Records with like, a rev order form and be like, Hey, do you need any restocks? And we'd like go through and, and, you know, just figure out everything we didn't have. Cause a store like Zed, we would carry everything from the revelation catalog, you know, all the way, you know, from youth of the day to Sensefield and everything in between. So, um, so I knew people like that. And then there was a bunch of people that used to work at Zed that migrated over to rev, you know, year after year, you had, you know, Josh Stanton from, from Farside and 411, he used to work at Zed and then he was, he was actually doing the, the buying for the distribution company, the RevHQ.com. And then you'd have people like Joe Nelson. 
he ended up working at at Rev or Igby after he stopped um, after he he shut down his on the edge rec- record store in Orange County. He was working at at uh, Rev and and you know just from going to shows and being friendly with people, you know that was also like Travis Gouchard from Outspoken worked there or Matt Enright from Function worked there. You know that that type of stuff. It's like you know it was a pretty tight scene back then and there was a lot of rad people that worked there so I think they had asked me they needed a sales rep and and uh Joe Nelson and this woman Elizabeth Cho ran the sales department Joe was sort of more like the legit guy in the world of hardcore and Elizabeth Cho was more like the business-minded person who worked at you know in the music industry before coming to this indie label Um, and so they asked if I would do it and they said you know, we'll pay you like, I don't know, I think I was making $6 at Zed and they're like, we'll pay you $7. And I was like, <laughs> holy shit. And they're like, yeah. And, and we'll give you health insurance or like uh-huh. pay for, for part of your health insurance. And mm-hmm. that was like mind blowing. You know, I was like, cause I hadn't had health insurance since I lived at my parents. Yeah. House. This is a real ass job. And you had like a desk and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, the desk looked like shit and the sure. warehouse looked like a rat's nest, sure. but it, it was still like, you know, for a punker, it was like a desk job, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I ended up going over there and they were just like, yeah, of course, you know, I interviewed with, I think Nelson and Elizabeth mm-hmm. Cho and they're like, yeah, when do you want to start? So I started working there and I think this was 97. I was, I was trying mm-hmm. to go back, um, 1997. And, uh, so like it was already in into the little bit more the experimental phase of revelation i love how you guys call it college years or, yeah. or i love it even more when you say revelation summer because I think that's <laughs> such a, a rad phrase yeah. like rip, ripping off of uh revolution summer yeah. because you know things did get weird you know after yeah. quicksand and you got uh-huh. like all, all those bands that weren't traditional hardcore and yeah. i grew up loving you know the early rev stuff you know uh of course, all the youth of the day stuff. And then every single one of those seven inches, you know, it's like, you know, getting to see chain of strength all the time. That was like, you know, huge chain of strength. And then when things got even more creative, like the inside out burn era, that was like my jam. Like uh, I felt really like that spoke to me. And then of course, quicksand and all that. So when I got there, it was interesting because I was almost coming around full circle, you know, always exploring and thirsty and hungry for um, different styles of music. I was getting more into like 70s weirdo punk and stuff like that. So, uh, or like the super, you know, Manila Envelope Gravity Records sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, I'll say Screamo, but I know that's like a Well, yeah, I mean, but at the time, at the time, that's what we called it. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah. Bands like Heroin and stuff. And it's like, I had seen bands like heroin play shows with inside out and play shows with statue, you know, it's like all that stuff happened together. So it was just, it just worked for me, but um, yeah, I got, I got the job there. And then uh, I think two weeks after I got the job there, Josh Stanton, who's doing the buying for RevHQ.com, he quit. Uh And they, like Jordan and, and them, they knew that when I was working at Zed, I became the manager at the time doing all the ordering, you know, ordering anything from like Ramones records to, you know, Ebolition records, you know, like mm-hmm. from, you know, more mainstream to, you know, more underground. So they were like, 
you'd be good at this. And I don't know, do you remember those like big mail order catalogs that Rev did? Yeah. They were, they were and, rad. And, and I remember more specifically the ones that Very did, which is yeah. pretty similar. So Rev did something like that and it was awesome. But the first ones, every single band had a description. Sure. So, so it's like you sort of had to know what was going on. Yeah. And they came out with those like every year or so. And one of them even had um, a flexi disc in it with Farside. Uh, Farside and Sensefield. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so that was like my era. So they, they, they said, Josh is leaving. You'd be perfect for this job. Do you want to take it over? So um, I was like, yeah, for sure. I mean, selling records as much as I like talking to people from record stores, it, it wasn't that fun. You know, it's like, I got, I made friends and stuff like that with people on the East coast, but uh, I, I liked more than just the Rev catalog. Mm -hmm. And at that point in 97, I think it was, you know, that was like the era of like, Texas is the reason better than a thousand. It just came out. And I remember having, cause you'd have to take the order over the phone and then write down what the stores wanted. So writing out better than a thousand sucked ass. <laughs> so, so we all used shorthand. We would write it out as BT1K yeah. because nobody would write out the whole yeah. thing, you know? And then you learn to appreciate a band like Ignite that has like a short sure, name sure. because you don't have to spell out the whole thing. So, or stores would fax in their orders at the time. Uh -huh. But um, anyways, I move over to be the buyer in the distribution company two weeks in. And I really felt like that was my thing because I got to um, experience and surround myself around all other types of new music that wasn't just, you know, what Rev was putting out. You know, it was any, we'd carry anything punk, indie, emo, oi, hardcore, yeah. um, ska, you know, it's like, and, and anything in between, anything that they would sell at, at uh, independent record stores. Right, so, yeah, so you're basically taking records from a label and being the middleman to give them to a store because a store, you know, they could order them from the label, but if they order them from Rev, they could get 10 different bands in one box and like two yeah. copies of each instead of being like, oh, I need 10 copies of this mineral record from the label. I only need two copies, but I can also get Texas is a reason and I can get the Resilios or whatever it is. I could get all these like things in one place. And so that's where we're going to go to Rev HQ versus the GSL or, you know, whatever. Totally. And, uh, and we even, so we even sold mail order for all the other labels too. And of course, mm -hmm. Rev still does this, you know, still this does. Isn't new. Yeah. but I, I loved it because it would be the type of thing where um, there's so many labels around here that were local that I would go, I would make the orders. I'd go in the warehouse, see what we were low on. And then I would place the orders. And then a lot of times I would just pick up the orders on the way, you know, mm -hmm. just like, how we would drop off records to Vinyl Solution in Huntington Beach as a record store. Mm -hmm. um, we would also just pick up local. So I lived on 4th Street in Long Beach. And in that era, SST Records was on 4th Street in Long Beach. Oh. So I would go, <laughs> I would wow. go in the morning before work. I'd pick up Tommy Natale, who, who was like our New York sort of like VOD fanatic uh, radio intern that moved out to to long beach to, to work at rev wow. and jo joe soar lived on my on my um on my sofa in our living room and he did i think some kind of pr promotions too at the time and uh 
and we'd drive into Rev. But a lot of times I would go to SST Records and pick up our order. So I'd pick up like nine boxes of Descendants and Black Flag and Dinosaur Jr., all the stuff that we would wow. carry. And at, and at the point, Greg Ginn ran SST, of course, but he didn't really have many employees. So Chuck Dukowski would call me up and be like, hey, we have a new Minuteman um, collection. Do you want to carry it? And I was like, yeah, of course I want to carry it. And I couldn't get him off the phone. Like the guy would talk for like an hour. And I'm like so confused because I'm like this guy's like a punk rock legend, yeah. you know, the yeah. bass player in Black Flag. But I've got work to do. But he wants to talk to me about how he got a trampoline for his daughter in the backyard. <laughs> wow. So I'll never forget picking up an order from um, Greg Ginn and, uh, in the morning, you know, it'd be like eight in the morning. He'd open the door. And it would just be him and he'd walk me up to the warehouse and the, the SST was like a compound. I'd drive to the back and then like we'd load up my little 1986 Toyota Corolla. And, um, and uh, I remember one time he opens the door and uh, there was this guy sitting on a sofa. I walked by him and I'm like, hey, you know, he sort of mumbles like a hi. And I look at Greg, I'm like, is that HR? He's like, oh yeah, it's HR. Yeah, your order's over here. And I'm just like, wait a sec. You know, like this is way too many legends in the, wow. in the same room. I was so like taken back, like meeting HR, picking up an order from Greg in. And then, uh, and then, you know, we do the same thing with like Nitro Records was across the street. I mean, of course, I'm not going to be flabbergasted by seeing noodles or something (laughs) drinking coffee in the corner yeah like guys from the (laughs) offspring you know uh, kung fu records was at Uh old world in huntington beach so Uh it was like you know graham that was a graham day right was he part oh no graham but joe escalante was yeah uh, and joe from the vandals chris martinez and then did graham work there no, you know where Graham worked, which was another local record label, um, was Fearless Records. Okay, yeah. And he, he, I think he worked there for a while. He, he played in Enoe Talk too. For yeah, he played bit. in yeah. Georges, actually, which was Enoe Talk's uh, like friend band. I don't know that he actually played in Enoe Talk, but he was in, uh, in the scene. And then he did Interpunk or Smart Punk? One of those, uh, right? I don't I don't yet yeah, one of them, but I, I don't uh-huh. remember which one. And now he Too runs uh, now he runs a beard oil company called Zeus. I had no idea. <laughs> I just see him online like posting pictures of fishing and surfing all the time. Um, but yeah, so anyways, we'd pick up all these local orders, uh-huh. which was which was rad. You know, again, SST being the number one in and Greg Ginn at that time, he was like he was running like an animal shelter out Yeah, there. I was gonna he, say, did he have like a million cats? He in, did in have a million cats. And, and it was, it was odd, uh, but then it made more sense because Black Flag did that reunion show yes. in the nineties yes. where they, they sold out the plate, the Hollywood Palladium. Uh-huh. And the whole thing was, it was a benefit, a benefit for, cats. for cats. Yeah. Very odd. And it was odd. And I remember Mike V, Mike Vallely, the mm-hmm. pro skater, he sang in the opening band, which played My War. Mm. um era black flag uh-huh was that uh, mike v and the rats or was it, it... was him but uh-huh. with greg ginn and the oh in the black I flags uh-huh. or i, I yeah. don't know i think greg ginn might have been the only original they might even yeah it's, it's interesting to hear yeah. um uh keith morris talk about those shows in a less than favorable fashion 
uh, yes. recently. <laughs> yeah, I've listened to all of that. And I yeah. even, I made, I don't know if it's the wrong decision or the right decision. When Keith Morris came out with that book, I was like, oh, I'm commuting a lot. So I'm going to get the audio. I have, yeah, I listened to the audio book. And it's, I was like, is it, you know, he has a very distinct voice. And I thought him. to myself, it, it is him actually. Uh, the version that I have, it's not him oh, really? reading it. No. Oh, so I was like, man, am I going to regret this? And yeah, I was like, yeah. You know what? I think I got to do it. You know, and, uh-huh. I, and I, I appreciate when people do that. Like when Sam McFeeters came out with his book, I was like, I don't want to read this. I want to hear Sam McFeeters tell me these stories. Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. so I actually really love that. Uh-huh. It's uh, pretty cool. I'm into, I'm into audiobooks. Yeah. I like, uh, I always listen to them with my kid when I take him to school. And it's like, um, you know, it'll be like, Tim Robbins reading Fahrenheit 451 or something, uh-huh. doing all the character voices. It's a, it's pretty cool. It's like a whole new sort of medium that I've really, I mean, it's not new, but it's a whole I, yeah, other medium yeah. I love. But anyway, so when I, back to, to Rev, when I was doing all the buying at Rev, um, that was like uh, Dave Mandel worked there. He stepped behind me. Uh, Paul Miner worked there from Buzz Palm Studios. And at, the, at that time, he was still playing bass and Death by Stereo as the first mm-hmm. bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, and all those guys helped, helped me out so much. It was like like Matt Enright from 11, he was in 1134 then. He was, uh, he worked in the, as a screen printer. He yeah, he screen he, print he, shirts for my band. Just he actually screen printed, he screen printed uh, the first 18 Visions shirts also in the back there. Kind of like I went to him and was like, hey, can you print these shirts? And he did it like under the table from Rev and, and helped us out with that. So that's, yeah. I think in 90, 97 or 98 also. Yeah, it's real same time. Yeah. yeah, so everybody, it was like such like a rad sense of community. He worked there, um, uh, Paul Miner, he, you know, that first Treadwell seven inch I put out, he, I did everything like sort of fucked up and photocopied, you know, like cut and paste. He did all the scanning and made the mechanical for me to to output the film to get, mm. you know, what was it? Bill Smith to print the jacket. No, uh-huh. was it Bill Smith? I forget who Dorado Press to print out the seven inch jacket. Dave Mandel, like I said, he helped with all the LaShock records when I worked there. He he, uh, you know, he drew the map for my wedding invitation. He mm-hmm. uh, actually. We screened I hand dyed this like texture it was full emo this textured sort of ragged paper rag paper i dyed everything with like a rip fabric dye mm-hmm. and then nathan napolitano was a screen printer at the time mm-hmm. he screen printed with this silver ink looked very sort of texas of the reason out yeah that's like i was gonna um, say like a indian summer insert yeah and he <laughs> made our rev invitate our wedding invitations were made at rev just sort wow. of like a hundred percent diy uh-huh. like just friends from the label hooking it up and it was a rad time you know the legend himself greg brown sloth crew greg from uh black spot he was like the revelation records mascot and Mm -hmm. would always you know just keep everybody cracking the jokes he was amazing i think at that time um ephraim worked there and i remember he came up to me to 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 say hey um Ephraim from Death by Australia, he was like, can you teach me how to use my email? And I was like, what? <laughs> and I sort of laughed. But then I like thought about it. And I was like, I never had an email account until I started working at Rev too. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, and it was, I was like, I had to learn how to do this too. Cause it's like, I didn't have a computer. 
this is still in by 97, 98, this is kind of a newish technology that wasn't in everyone's home. Yeah. Especially for like us loser punk. Totally. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is sort of funny because I stopped working at Rev to go to school, um, to design school. Uh-huh. And so um, at that point in my life, while I was at Rev, I hated computer design. Because if you remember like sort of mid nineties, computer hardcore graphic design it was like stretching out very fonts and do, yeah it's terrible like breaking all the yeah. rules of yeah. like you know anything that had taste but um so i love you know rub off letter set letters uh-huh. cut and paste uh-huh. you know a lot of uh-huh. like you know getting like halftone line screens or you know getting kinkos to invert you know uh black and white to white and black you know uh-huh. do, and sort of doing layouts that way um but it's pretty wild because I started seeing the graphic designers at Rev, which there was a lot of, when I started, I think Jerix was working there and he was like this sort of techno raver guy. Yeah. And, and he was a very sweet dude, but I didn't like his design style. Like he did the, remember when all the Youth of the Day records were reissued? Mm-hmm. Tim Singer from No Escape did we're not in this alone. Which, yeah, we just covered um, that on our, on our last episode, but he just did is, that one record. Yes. The other two have like horrible fonts. I remember one of them had the font that Taco Bell was using on their bags at the time. And I was just like, it was, it was so cringy. And you know, like the, the letters had like an outer glow behind them. It Uh was really bad, but he was making rave flyers at that time, which was like sort of cutting edge. So he was just mixing these two worlds, you know, and for him and for like his people, it was epic but yeah. for me it was cringy because i love you know i love the way the caroline records right and the, and the wishing well records yeah love. and if you you know i go into rev a lot because of this podcast and i get to look through the files and yeah. and so behind igby's desk there's a, a a shelf of flat files that still has all of the chain of strength no for an answer uh all those early ones that has like the tracing paper with the red colored pencil and you can see the fucking Sharpie marks from the black and all that stuff. And then right around this time, the the envelopes get smaller and smaller and smaller, like kind of after far side, I'm going through those files and I'm like, where's the artwork? Yeah. Like, I feel like Richie Birkenhead, especially because that was the first, the Into Another record was like the first record done with a computer. And and after that, it gets real thin on the artwork. Like there's some photographs maybe in the files that were used for scans, but overall yeah. it's not the same. You're totally right. The Letra set and the lines and nobody was using an X-Acto knife and whiteout at this point. <laughs> no, but I got to see like all those designers do their thing. like. Richie worked in the office when I uh-huh, went there too. Uh-huh. So I'm like, wait a sec, this is a guy from underdog just like hanging out with me. You know, yeah. it's like, like I remember um, Dom from Throwdown. He uh-huh. like, it would be like Richie, Joe Nelson, Dom and myself going out to lunch. And Richie's talking about like, you know, people using heroin that he hung out with on the street while he's like fixing his motorcycles. Cause he was into like rockabilly music. And I was like, what is going on? It was surreal. But all the designers, um, like Richie was rad. And then 
of course, Jeff Caudell from Game Face was a designer for a long time. And I think he did a lot of really creative stuff. Like I love that Rev 150 um, where he took all of Jordan's love of the vintage G.I. Joe figures uh-huh, and made uh-huh. this sort of like photo shoot of them playing. The past, this sort past of, present one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The mock sort of CBGB's hardcore show. Uh-huh. That was great. Um, and Jeff was rad. He would always make like the weirdest stuff. Like he would come in, I think for Jordan's birthday, he made him a fake sandwich because they had an inside joke and it was a sandwich that just looked like it had shit in it but he wrapped it in saran wrap and made it almost like how you would get like a hoagie or something on the east coast and put a little thing on it that said diarrhea sandwich and he's like jordan i got you a diarrhea sandwich and you know jordan's sense of humor he thought it was like the greatest thing uh, (laughs) it was it was so bizarre and then after jeff i think uh tom decline who worked at at uh at vinyl solution records the record shop he Mm -hmm. became the in-house graphic designer at rev but i started getting way into the design stuff because i would have to I would have to make the weekly updates that we would mm-hmm. fax out to all the stores. And basically it was all the records that I would bring in, I would write descriptions for. And, you know, like if there was a new agnostic front record, I'd write a description of it and have a little picture of it. And then, you know, sort of, it was like the start of like design for me on a computer. At mm-hmm. least I, I grew up loving art, and, you know, cut and paste graphics. On. And I started getting into it and i remember i I, it was like i was working off a template that dave mandel made and i sort of evolved it a little bit and that was my thing i would buy the records and i would put in all i would write all the descriptions and design the little thing and then we'd fax it out every thursday night and even when i i quit to go to design school jordan was like hey will you come in on fridays and we'll move the weekly update to fridays because he thought like my description writing skills were like the best or something. I'm like, really? You can't have the new guys do this? Like, give me a break. So, um, so it was pretty fun to do. And I remember at that point, the label wasn't doing that well. This was like sort of turn of the century-ish, which mm-hmm. sounds weird Y2K. to say. But yeah, so the, the label, I mean, the label was still putting out records, but they weren't like bangers, you know? It yeah. wasn't like you know, start today, or it wasn't even like, right. you know, the Texas so reason record. What, what were the CDs? Because this is a CD era now that we're going into. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so that, what's, that, what's, what's being put out around this time? I mean, I, if I was, I don't remember exactly, but if I was to guess, it would be like things like fall silent and uh-huh. uh, will Haven and things uh-huh. like that, you know, curl up and die. Uh-huh. Uh, Starting to get heavier. Yeah. 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 Um, which I thought was totally cool because totally. I love yeah like, I love all that stuff yeah like like Hydrahead record stuff of that yeah, era I thought yeah. was rad you know it was a totally different thing but it was it was awesome and creative and fun and they seemed like they were doing their own thing but um so so the the distribution company was doing really well mm-hmm. and and Rev was. The distribution company, Jordan put it to me once where it was almost like the distribution company was helping out um, the label, you know, it was because the label maybe wasn't selling these blockbusters, you know, because those bands that were selling all the records maybe were, I don't know, like on Victory or something at that time, you know, but, um, but, or, or EVR. Actually, we had EVR as an exclusive label at that point. So Mm -hmm. that like, 
the Jane Doe Converge record. It's like we would manufacture and exclusively distribute, you know, uh-huh. and we could all buy those records for cost. So we're uh-huh. buying records for like a buck or something uh-huh. like that. So I have so many records from that era, like Jane Doe, where it was sure. like, okay, I'm going to take this first pressing and just squirrel it away. But yeah. Um, so the, the distribution company was doing so great. I remember um, as I was starting to get more into design, uh, they wanted to get like, it was like Jordan and Xenia and I think maybe Beak at the time they were, they wanted to do something sort of almost like, almost like, uh, I mean, like an unofficial holiday bonus. They go, Hey, we know you're getting into this stuff. They go, um, Xenia, who's doing like financing or whatever the, the books, uh, I forget what the accounting is. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, did you ever want to get a computer? I'm like, yeah, I think so. And so she basically asked me what I was looking at. And at that point, it was a Blueberry iMac. If you remember those shells. Yeah, computers. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jordan gave me a Blueberry iMac for wow. a, like a thank you. because Like a going just, away present, basically. No, this was while I was oh. still working there. Oh, this okay. was like, hey, the distribution company is doing so well. Thank uh-huh. you for sort of you know, making it happen. Because like uh-huh. I said, I would be ordering from SST, but then sure. talking to Jamie from Hatebreed to get his uh-huh. stillboard record seven <laughs> inches in, you yeah. know, and everything in between, you know? Yeah. So it was um, it was a pretty rad thank you. And I remember Mandel goes, dude, you're stoked. Bring it over to my house. I will uh, not upload. What, yeah. She's like, I will install every single design application you need. Quark you, and all that yeah, stuff. Quark Express, <laughs> all the Adobe programs. Yeah. And he's like, I have you know, hacked serial codes for all uh-huh. of them. And so I just spent an afternoon at Dave Mandel's house at whatever indecision manner. And he uh-huh. just loaded everything on it and set me up. And that's sort of how I started my foray into computer graphics. And then I went uh-huh. to school for a couple of years and, you know, I, st- I kept working at Rev one day a week. And I told Jordan, I was like, dude, I don't think I can hang and, and do this. Uh-huh. Um, which is weird because even when I started working at Rev, the the owner at, of Zed Records was like, can you work every Sunday still, like one day a week and like help out? And so I was sort of doing that, like working the five days at Rev and working one day at Zed. But, you know, while I was in school, I was going to school five days and then still working one day at, at, at Rev. But I was like, you know, at that point, it's like we all would have done just anything just to, you know, I'm at like one of my favorite labels yeah. ever, you know, that yeah. I grew up with. And it's like, why wouldn't I help? You know, it's yeah, like yeah. all the people that work here are awesome. I mean, these people, they taught me how to use a computer, you know, like from saying like, Hey, will you teach me how to use email? It was crazy. Oh, speaking of email, our emails at Rev were like our first name, last initial. Um, so I was like Andrew R at RevHQ.com. Uh-huh. There was a guy that worked there at the time that, I would love to hear if you guys could ever get him a guest, as a guest, Tom Begroen. He did okay. A&R at the time when I first started. He's probably most well-known for um, he working at Caroline before uh, Rev. Okay. He actually is the guy who put together the Bad Brains Black Dots um, record. Uh-huh. He put together the Misfits Coffin box set. You know, he, he had did a lot of rad stuff. And um, he came over to to Rev and was one of the first guys I met when I started working there. But his name, Tom Begroitz, got shortened to Tom B uh-huh. at RevHQ.com. And I was like, dude, that's like the toughest 
name ever, tomb at reverence.com. <laughs> so I thought it was so rad. Um, and, uh, and he's an awesome dude. He's like a great graphic designer now and photographer. And, um, and I remember when Quicksand played in 2017, I think it's when that Interiors record came uh-huh. out. And uh, I went to the show at the Galaxy in Santa Ana or, or no, what's the, that place? The Observatory. That? The Observatory in Santa Ana, <laughs> sorry. And um, they changed their names. Yeah, uh, like 20, and, 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. And, and Jordan, Jordan was out in the parking lot. He was like, oh, hey. And like, we were like talking. And I see this bald guy next to him. And he's like, Andrew, you remember Tom? And I was like, Tomb, what's up? Thinking it was Tom Bergrook because he was uh-huh. also this shorter dude with a sh- bald head, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, so awesome to see you. And I'm totally stoking out on him, like, because we had all these Rev memories. Sure. And then Tom's like, oh, I got to go in and like do something, you know, with my gear. Uh-huh. And I was like, Oh, oh shit. It's that was Tom Capone. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like the night before, remember he got like arrested and they uh-huh, finished the tour as like a three yeah. piece. Yeah. So I think it was like the show before that happened. Wow. And I was like, oh fuck. So I <laughs> I like messaged Tom Begrox. So I was like, uh-huh. dude, I thought I was hanging out with you for like 10 minutes because I haven't TC3. seen you since the 90s. Yeah. That's so funny. TC3. Yeah, it it was um pretty good. But yeah that era of rev was rad and Larry Ransom, he was there uh-huh. at the time. He's got that amazing bones brigade audio show podcast yeah, right now, yeah. which is super amazing. Yeah. Larry I Ransom's love, love for skateboarding is like almost unparalleled. He's like such an archivist. It's wild. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I saw him post something when you guys did that. We're not an alone episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Episode. He loves it. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? Honestly, I think that's my favorite. Um, Rev. Y-O-T record. Yeah. Oh, your favorite youth of today record. What's, yeah, your favorite, yeah. what's your favorite Rev record? Well, first, I got to say, on that podcast you did for We're Not In This Alone, you guys mentioned Dylan pulled, you know, with the mountain bike there. Yeah. I've owned that record since it came out. Uh-huh. I, you know, the Caroline version. Sure. All the, I, I never knew there was a dude with a mountain bike on it. Like I, I had to go back and look and, and look like, at it. There's a guy with a mountain bike on this. I'm like, I would have thought that was dorky back then. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. I guess Ray Capo, he's he's trailblazed, you know, like the back uh-huh. of the disengaged seven inch with like the leather shoes and the sweats. Yeah, yeah. I remember actually as a kid, we used to go to a, a middle school in Garden Grove and they had shows in the auditorium. And I remember walking in and it was like full dork, just like, you know, I was probably 14. I pushed up my red sweatpants to look like Ray Capo. Nice. I had like Air Force Ones or whatever uh-huh. before I had, you know, uh, Jordans. Uh-huh. And I had a Youth of the Day shirt and a shaved head. And, you know, I'm a kid, just skinny, wiry kid. Sure. I remember walking in and a bunch of skinheads were out front. And they looked at me and laughed and sang, we're the youth of today, you know, like Tony wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. at me, like mocking me. And I was wow. like, Oh, these guys, you know, they're like big tough sort of like sure. mags looking skinheads, you uh-huh. know, like here I am just this like white kid, white bread <laughs> kid from the suburbs. From the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, it was wild, but uh, awesome. yeah. So favorite rev release. It's tough because, um, I do enjoy, like, of course, what sucked me in was all the early stuff. And and I love the shit out of, like, the first seven inches, you know, all of them, you know, Warzone, you know, was 
I thought was awesome, but you know, I was probably like 13, 14 GB was untouchable. Um, you know, uh, side by side, that was like so tough with like the dive bomb whammy bars, you know, like those were amazing. Uh, chain being that like, I could see them was amazing, mm -hmm. you know, like, mm -hmm. like I loved that and they were awesome live. Um, you know, I, I've heard people, whatever, almost like pass them off as fakes or something. I'm like, mm -hmm. whatever they, ruled when i saw him play live and we saw him many times mm -hmm. um and uh and that record's great i still think it's great yeah and uh but i think like the later era is like a little bit more my favorite like um like inside out like you know just being able like i saw him every era you know and and going back to being a where it went listener it's like it's like yeah i saw him with vic they fucking ruled like i'm looking at vic and he's just like you know, he looks like he's out of his mind, like, yeah. you know, like or out of his body, you know, like mm -hmm. he's like, you know, he's so into it and so passionate. It was like, it, it was crazy. But he looked just like this, like Alva skater with dreads and this heavy metal guitar. I'm like, I never would have pictured enjoying this guy playing guitar, but he was amazing. And, right. and I personally love Beyond. I know, I, I know your views, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. So I was like, yeah, this guy's rad. And then you know, I saw him play with Mike Down from uh -huh. uh, uh, Force Down and Amenity. And that was rad. Sure, he was like maybe sloppier. And I know like on that episode that you guys interviewed all the other guys, they were sort of, you know, a little less. A little than, salty. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know what? They still put on a great show. You sure. know, it was still amazing. And Zach's like, a, you know, the probably one of the greatest front men I got to experience, you know. Mm -hmm. and um. And then seeing him with Mike Rose's playing guitar at the end, you know, I was telling you that last show I, I saw him at Toe Jam with yeah. when he had that red hot chili pepper sticker on his yeah. guitar and the mullet. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? I think Mission Impossible might have opened that show. Uh -huh. I, I want to say that or Mission Impossible opened the 411 show that I saw uh -huh. there. But I remember there was a lot of, a lot of, you know, that, you know, those same bands playing over and yeah. over. So I'd say that, but I also liked like, as things got like, like statue, you know, it's mm -hmm. like statue was so cool. Cause it, it felt so DC to me. And I mm -hmm. loved all that DC stuff. And they just, you know, Alex was rad and looked cool. And like, they, for me, I loved sort of where Jane's addiction was going, you know? And it's like, but I loved hardcore. And I feel like the, the mix of those two worlds were, were great. Like um, Alex, said something on one of your episodes where he was like yeah for statue um he was like uh the smiths were our beetle were our beetles he said uh the smiths were our beetles and jane's addiction was our lead zeppelin uh, and i was like he nailed it like i couldn't feel more like you know i there couldn't be more truth out of that for what i was thinking at the same era i i, I loved it so it's interesting how those bands around that time all kind of talked about Jane's addiction right like quicksand talked about Jane's addiction and statue and it was like a thing that it I, I want to say they're a little bit overlooked now but like it was very influential and interesting at the time yeah so I think I think for me it'd be a toss-up between inside out and chain of strength mm -hmm. you know maybe chain of strength because they were like a more of a first love mm -hmm. but both those bands i got to see so much so 
I don't know if I had if I had to put it black and white, I'd say the first chain seven inch. Yeah. That's like that's the shit, you know. And, and uh, so since okay. since uh, you left Rev in the you know around the turn of the century, and you've been a graphic designer ever since, correct? Yeah, I started as a designer, and then I work in advertising. I sort of moved mm-hmm. my way up to being an art director and a creative director, and and uh, you know I'm I'm working for like. I mean, it's like a pretty like big agency sort of corporate clients. It's like not very punk rock. So mm-hmm. I still love doing like layouts for punk bands or helping hardcore kids out and stuff like that if I can or mm-hmm. if people are interested. And I'll usually like take on a, like one project here or there just to sort of feel like I'm not just like a, you know, a creative selling a out to like the man. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, what I do is a fun job. It's just like coming up with ideas for commercials and billboards and like Uh overseeing the art and production and you know the creative for that but i do still like getting dirty and sort of photocopying things and Mm -hmm. and, uh feeling do you feel like your time your time in hardcore helped you with not that you're out of hardcore but learning all that stuff in hardcore did it help you with some of your ethics and styles now a hundred percent and i think the main thing is i feel like hardcore was one of those things where it's like you know putting out you know, albeit that i didn't put out many records but working in a record shop working at a label uh, helping with shows or making flyers doing all that i feel like just teaches you how to work hard and i think when i started as a designer um i didn't have the skill that probably took me to the right level but i had like the work ethic that got me there so it's it's definitely helped but it comes from full circle like i've I've uh, I got to use Henry Rollins as a voiceover artist for like a car commercial, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's amazing. Like speaking of work ethic, we have him in the sound booth recording the voiceover for the end of a commercial, and he's like, he's like giving it his all, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, we got it. That's awesome. You know, that take was it. And he's like, no, I can do it better. I'm gonna go one more round, and I'm like, holy shit, like. This guy is the Henry Rollins that, you know, I grew up knowing and loving and, you know, sure. sort of like my first tattoo was a Rollins band tattoo. I see you wearing the shirt and I'm like, because <laughs> I turned 18, I got that stupid son on his back. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. With a friend, it was a buddy tattoo, like a uh-huh. skater, hardcore friend that we That's loved great. that record. When it came out. But yeah, it's, uh, it's all good. Rev, Rev's uh, awesome. Thank you for uh, yeah for doing the podcast. By the way, I mean like you, Jason, you know Greg. You guys are like legends. The hours of enjoyment. So I totally appreciate it. you guys are doing and the Lord's work. I love hearing that from you, who's like kind of one of my contemporaries. You know, you're you're a couple sure. years older than me, but also my band has been playing with younger bands, and these dudes are in their twenties, and they're like. I love your podcast because it's connecting me to these records that I only ever would have heard on Spotify. And I didn't know the stories behind. And it's, I had, there's a kid named Jacob who plays in a band called Firestarter. And he's like, I listen to these bands because of your podcast. And then I take those riffs and put them into my current band. And like, that's That's it. Like, you know, it's what we're doing. It's not just for people who were there. It's not just for the bands, it's for anyone who's a fan of hardcore of any generation. And even people who will hopefully find this, you know, living on the internet in 
10 years or whatever as a, as a, a memory and be like, oh, statue. I'm going to check this record out. Cool. Yeah. This has been epic. Sorry yeah. for chatting your ear off. I mean, no, no, always... I, this is it. This is, I'm so glad that we got to do this. Cause like we would have done me and you would have done this sitting at a show. Like this could have, this could have been like three parking lot conversations between you and me. We just got <laughs> to sit down and do it with each other. And now other people get to listen to us blabber on but it, I, you know i think some people will find it interesting and i'm so glad that um you got to finally i've been wanting you to come on the show and uh, i'm stoked that we got to have this conversation today red and i'm stoked yeah. to keep it going on the discord it's a rad yeah, channel for so, sure uh I, I love all those people and everything everybody's contributing like like due to adam with all his photos those black yeah. things from the 90s are mm -hmm. sick all the new stuff people are posting with praise mm -hmm. and so it's it's great so Anyways, kudos to you and Greg Thanks. and Jason. You guys are Thanks, you guys Andrew. are awesome. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks. Uh, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you at a show. What's up, y'all? Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tinnell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focus, JPD2, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Tyler from the Life and Death Brigade, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. Look, I already told you how to, how to become a patron and how to listen to the rest of this episode. And I said I was only going to say it once. So, if you missed it, go back to the beginning episode, figure it out. Otherwise, we'll see you next episode. Bit up, Bo.